Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, September the 4th. On August the 24th, the Lancet launched a report about the health of South Africa, which we cover in a six-part series starting in the print issue of the Lancet this week, dated September the 5th to the 11th. And this series obviously comes at a critical time with global financial troubles and a new administration under Jacob Zuma in South Africa. Also in this week's issue, we profile two very important people in South African health. The new health minister, Aaron Mozzalidi, and Professor Hussein Kavadia, one of South Africa's leading figures in HIV AIDS, based at the University of Natal in Durban. In a moment, you can hear Claire Capp, who has written the two profiles, interviewing both those figures. But just before that, I'm joined by Richard Horton, editor of The Lancet, to reflect on the series and to comment on the future health of the South African nation. Richard, you were at the launch of the South Africa report, which we're publishing as a series, which is starting in the print issue this week, the September 5th issue of The Lancet. Just tell us about what that launch was like. Reading the editorial this week, one gets a real sense of excitement, anticipation, renewal, lots of interesting words. You're right. I travelled to Johannesburg last week, I must say, with a sense of trepidation and anxiety. The series took two years to put together, and I think all of us had felt a deep sense of concern about how it would be received. A government that uh, was new, but which was coming in on the background of a ruinous health policy under the Mbeki regime. And it felt very much as if there was, there was little to be hopeful for. And the launch of the series and the presence of the new South African health minister, Aaron Mozzalidi, was quite transformative. It was a remarkable performance by him. I've watched Manto Shabalala Samang over the years, and it's been a depressing experience. And he was completely different, not defensive, very optimistic, very positive, happy to admit errors of the, from the government, the ANC government in the past, but determined to paint a very different picture, both for a domestic audience and also for an international audience. It was incredible. We don't know how they're going to do because it's the very beginning, very early stages of this new administration under the Zuma government in South Africa. But broadly speaking, at this stage, are you sort of cautiously optimistic or even more than cautiously optimistic? I'm really am very optimistic. He, Aaron Mussolini made it very clear that health was one of the top five priorities of the new Zuma government. And within that prioritization, he has a very clear plan that he laid out to his audience last week to scale up investment and upgrading the health system in South Africa. So he's saying all the right things. He has a policy which is workable. He has a medical profession and nursing profession that will be shoulder to shoulder with him on this. So he will have professional support. He will have public support as well because clearly there is a great demand for improving public services. The difficulty is not the political will. The difficulty is not aligning his policy with what's needed. The problem is that the economic situation that's facing not just South Africa, but the whole of the world, puts his government in a very difficult predicament because Africa is already 
a vulnerable emerging market economy in the world. The Economist put it uh, earlier this year as top of a league table of vulnerable emerging market economies and how the government negotiates itself out of that corner is going to determine the freedom with which the Zuma government can uh, tackle problems such as health and education. Well, thanks very much indeed, Richard. And now let's hear from the South African Health Minister, Aaron Mozzalidi, talking to Claire Capp. You know, you've had a baptism of fire, but you've hit the ground landing. I mean, I've, you know, I'm very uh, impressed with you, what I've seen with you. I started running even before he did the ground. Yeah. <laughs> and you haven't stopped since? I've never stopped since because nobody's allowed me to stop, even just to catch a breath. So yeah. There's no chance for that. Yeah. Obviously, with the National Health Insurance Scheme, the doctor's strike and everything, you've got your work more than all the other Have you got any single one biggest priority? Well, the, the biggest priority for everything which is overarching. The, the president already said that. That he's very much concerned and worried about the deteriorating health situation in the country. And one is going to be given that priority. We need to overhaul it of the whole health system, mm-hmm. from primary care level right up to the top. They need to be very serious overhauling. And the issues of quality improvement, quality of health care. And how do you think you're going to achieve that? There are various methods. Fortunately, it's not even for me to start thinking. The ANC has recognized this a long time ago. That's why in the December conference in 2007, we passed a resolution that was never passed before. But you see, the unfortunate thing about that ANC conference is that every news, you know, media was speaking about the leadership squabbles there, and they forgot about the content. Yeah. We spent five days there. We could not have spent the whole five days just fighting. We were discussing very important issues. One of the most important issues to come out of that conference is for the ANC to prioritize health and education for the next five years. We didn't just pick it in the air. It's because there are very serious challenges there which we have recognized and picked up as we went on in government over the past 15 years. We met those challenges and we decided that the only way to deal with these challenges is to prioritize health. Hi! Hello, the new minister. How are you? Congratulations. Fine, thanks a lot. Well? Yeah, well, I'm trying. I'm still alive and kicking. You will be. <laughs> Thank you, yes. So, uh, yeah, we prioritize them. And to show the seriousness, in the, all the other years since 1994, health and education was just clapped with others as the social cluster or social sector. And we said, no, it can no longer be. We picked it out and formed a special committee dealing with health and education. And chose one of us, who's medical doctor, by the way, the premier of KwaZulu-Natal, to head it, Mr. Dr. Zuelim He It has nothing to do with his premiership. It has got a lot to do with that. He understands the sector. He was the MEC there. He's also a doctor by profession. He is a member of the MEC. He headed that committee, which I became a member. I was not in health, but I was a member of that committee. We spent the whole year working day and night on understanding the situation and the solution. And we, pay, we came up with what we call, we actually included the DBSA, the Development Bank of South Africa, and the Human Society, and many other experts. We came out, we call a 10-point plan. That 10-point plan found its way into government. It is the plan that I'm, I'm going to implement in government. It has got 10 points. Of course, I, I won't remember them of it, but one of them is saying we need to overhaul the whole health system from primary health care right up to quaternary health care. You need an overhauling 
including evaluating managers and finding who knows what because some of the problem the president spoke about deterioration is simply management simply you know i i was in education there are times when you think this school must be closed down because it's, it's, it's not a school but you just change the manager just that you don't give money you don't give everything anything you just change the manager and i can tell you everything everything changes there was a school which the minister visited with me i'm just giving an example where they got zero and people were saying no we don't have this facility we don't have that we don't have this you didn't build us this you didn't do that all we did was to change the principal and they got 83 percent pass so you think the same will apply to health, uh, health quite facilities. a number of health facilities have got some of these things which people say they are not there they are there and i'm not saying everything is there but i'm just saying you don't need to be extremely rich you know what i mean to run a, a very good normal health system you don't need to be extraordinarily rich in as much as you don't need to be extraordinarily rich to run a good school that's very important when it comes to this issue of overholding looking at management skills and who knows what and who is where it plays a very big part in, in this whole issue and the ongoing problems with the with, with the doctors i mean how do you see that being that being resolved well it's, it's quite unfortunate it's quite unfortunate because um, we inherited this issue by the way it has been there for a very very long time where in this country health professionals are not really i won't say recognized but fully appreciated you know what i mean you know doctors engineers you know scientists teachers nurses for quite a long time they were, we've been ignoring their existence and their importance in you know in in this whole health i mean in this whole life of, of citizens that is why in, in, even in government itself, apart from in, in government, the cluster on health, education, science and technology is called a human development cluster. We no longer call it social, it's human development. And without developing humans, there can't be economics, there can't be anything, there can't be governance. So, so in that, it's at the center of everything. Because in the final analysis, the world is about human beings. It's not about wealth and all that, it's about human beings. Anyway, wealth is part of what must support humanity. So if we can't concentrate on developing human beings, all the other things will fall away. And these people are in the sector where humanity is being developed. Absolutely. So we need to solve it and much quicker. The only thing that I told doctors, I said, they mustn't believe these things up for debate. We have gone beyond the debate. The South African Health Minister, Aaron Mozzalidi. And now let's hear the thoughts of one of South Africa's leading figures in HIV AIDS, Professor Hussein Kavadia. Claire Cap begins this interview by asking Professor Kavadia for his thoughts on where South Africa is in dealing with the HIV AIDS epidemic. We will grasp at any straw now because it's been such a dreadful epidemic with such a horrible experience of incompetence uh, and, the, and the allegation which is supported by some evidence that we really, the government has been responsible for the unnecessary deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. In that sort of doomsday scenario, anything that we could clutch on, the teenage pregnancy figures, or HIV figures, sorry, sound promising. But we, you know, we're with a new government. We thrust into a, a multitude of global problems. And we have, uh, as gently as possible, an untested president and his cabinet. Mm. 
with a few outstanding exceptions like Pravin and maybe a few more. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say. So there are just too many unknowns for us to be entirely hopeful, but uh, it does move us a little away from the frustration and despair we have. And I think the last thing is that we mustn't forget that the epidemic itself is really a complicated and complex in some ways unpredictable disease. I tried to read up the history at the time and I was faced by HIV. Most other diseases, epidemics or pandemics, they came, they wiped out millions like in Europe and mm. Black Death and then smallpox and influenza in 1918. Millions of people died and then they moved on. There's really no parallel to this type of problem. A chronic, pervasive, silent disease for can be silent for 10 years while it spreads. It's a real problem. All I'm saying that it's uh, not impossible to fight but it's it's not exactly like hypertension or something mm. that you can yeah. control it, even if you've got the best, best resources. I'm often asked why is the disease so severe, and only a fool or someone who's glib will tell you why. Because we don't understand all the reasons. I can trot out the usual reasons, but fundamentally we can't pinpoint why we are worse off than Senegal, which has already had a low level for a long time. So do you think it's too complicated even to say whether it's, it's, it's peaked, whether it's reached? I think that it has, yeah. but that's um, partly a question of mechanics. That is, it must have been a, a susceptible group, susceptible by age, risky sexual behavior, gender, mm-hmm. all that. And that got saturated quickly in the past. If it started in, say, 90s, yeah. Yeah, past 18, 19 years. So it, it, it would have peaked. Much of the prevalence would have leveled off because of mortality. But now, we probably get a higher prevalence in the areas where we've got wide coverage of antiretrovirals. People are going to live longer. So the best news is that the incidence in the younger age group, which is what you were telling me about mm-hmm. the HSRC report, would be a good indicator that maybe just maybe it's no matter how if that means a change in behavior which it should mean then it's good news because no matter how many antiretrovirals we have or if we ever get a vaccine or all those other prevention interventions like antiretrovirals before sexual contact or after and so on if there's no behavior change it's going to be a problem and that's what bothers me. So on the one side, I've got one fact. Teenage figures. Mm-hmm. On the other side is a whole panoply of factors which in my view increase HIV AIDS. It's the violence, it's the gender um, discrimination in the broadest sense. It's the abuse of uh, women and children, mostly mm-hmm. within homes. It's the um, poverty, uh, unemployment rather. And, and I, I, I'm not a believer that poverty makes people susceptible to it. It, it mm. makes HIV AIDS worse when they've got it. But there's no evidence that the poor get more HIV. But I think it just makes it worse. Just moving away from HIV and AIDS, because in the profile we also 
Can I just give a little bit of background about the, you know, about the subject of the of the profile? I read somewhere that, um, like your son, you're also passionate about about literature, about uh, mm. arts, etc. Just fill me in on that. It's the what's the reason the heart of our lives? Mm. Tennis, well, literature and tennis. Literature and tennis, right? <laughs> it's a bad combination. <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Could be worse. <laughs> Could be rugby. <laughs> no, it's a passion. What? You know the existential Sats uh, Simone de Beauvoir. Mm-hmm. She's she was a teacher. Mm-hmm. She said, "Teaching is my." is my religion but literature is my passion I feel the same mm-hmm. and I read somewhere you like uh, Gabriel um, um, 100, years solid, yeah. 100 Years of Solitude Easy. I think yeah I like uh, Marquez a lot. but I also oddly enough like that right wing American who's just died Saul Bellow and I feel like he's great but he's a dreadfully right-wing creature. <laughs> <laughs> Many thanks to Professor Hussein Kavedia, to the South African Health Minister Aaron Mozzalidi, to the Lancer Editor Dr Richard Horton, to Claire Cap, and to you all for listening. Next week we'll be discussing a promising research article about stem cell therapy. Until then, goodbye.